You're listening to the Influential Conversations podcast with the property management coach and industry influence of the year, Kurt Stafford and guests. Well, hello and welcome again to another episode of Influential Conversations. My name's Kirk Stafford and with me today is someone I've been waiting to get onto this show and uh, it's with my greatest of pleasures to introduce you to Jody Sainton. Now, Jody is currently the Director of Harcourt Solutions in Brisbane. They are, unbelievably, she's just told me, the number one, internationally number one, property management company within the franchise group. Previously, she was uh, National Franchise Director for another of the uh, the, the, the franchise groups uh, that has now become a national group. Jody, thank you and welcome. Thanks for having me, Kirk. I'm very excited to be here. I've been listening to your podcast and very excited that I've um, that you've reached out. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're always going to be on the list. It's just a matter of finding the slot to, to, to fit to fit for both of us, really. But no, look, it's it's, it's a delight for me to have you on, Jodie. Now, who are you? (laughs) I've told told people about Jodie Stainton, yeah, yeah, national director or director of one of the international, the biggest international company um, or group in the franchise organisation. But who's who's Jodie Stainton, really? How did you get into the industry? Let's start with that. Okay, so it started back in 2001 and I was lucky enough, or it was actually 2000, I think, late, I was lucky enough to get into a business where property management was actually a really big focal part of the business right from back then, you know, 23 years ago, you might remember, you would remember, Kirk, it wasn't, it wasn't the same as it is now, um, but I was lucky to have a principal-based property manager um, back then, so I got really, really good training and I worked out really quickly that property management was the thing that I wanted to do. So it, mm. it sort of it just it fits my personality. I think all the variations of it, with from legals to advertising properties to meeting people, I really love all of that. Uh, so yeah, it fit me really well right from the start. Yeah, great. So so what, what was your first role? Where, where, where did you begin? Was I mean, and it's interesting because when I talk to a lot of people, and majority, let's face, it, I mean, this industry is uh, I think ninety five percent populated by women, which I think is is, is an amazing yes. thing. But a lot of them say, "Oh, I just sort of fell into. It. I didn't know what else to do, or I was leaving school and someone recommended real estate, and, and I started as a receptionist." Where did you start? Where, did you start straight in as a PM, or did you come in the same no, way as everyone else seems to have? Everyone else did. So probably a little bit. Different. I knew I wanted to be in real estate. So back when I was about six and seven, I would notice that the houses would change, the fence would change, and I was really nosy and I wanted to see in everyone else's house. So I had this kind of thing about property really, really early on. Then and and I loved people. So it kind of just I knew I wanted to be in real estate. So I then went to I got in by actually becoming a valuer. So I went in and studied property economics and but I only did a year of it. So I found valuing really, really lonely and already realized that it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I had this opportunity from a friend of mine. And that let I thought if I can just do that for a year. I, mm-hmm. I'm fairly certain I'll get into because I called actually Ray White, um, one of the Ray White franchisees, really, really young and said, you know, no experience necessary and said, hey, listen, I really want to be in real estate. And they said, well, have you ever rented a house? No. Have you ever sold a house? No. <laughs> Dear, I live back home with my mum. And they were like, yeah, we'll call you. So I was like, oh, okay. So I got into valuing and then um, knew that once I did that for a year or so, I could probably get into real estate. So that's how I got in. And I went in as an associate and 
like I said, I ended up, what actually happened was, is that unfortunately, all of the team left, they kind of had a mass exodus in one day. And so as a sales associate, they were sort of like, oh, we need bums on seats. <laughs> so she <laughs> came to me and said, I actually think you'll be, I think you'll have, uh, she said, a longevity in this business, but I really think property management is for you. And I, I didn't know about the mass exodus, but I just thought this is a wonderful thing and, and, you know, property management sounded really glamorous. And so I went, oh, how how wonderful. Um, but it turns out she derailed my sales career by getting me into because, you know, they really needed someone in the seat. And, but I just, mm-hmm. I just loved it from the start. And I knew I was lucky enough to get, I won a ticket actually to go to a conference and it was a Michael Sheargold um, session. And from that moment, I realised that property management could be a career and that, you know, this is this is something that I could actually really make my life. And so I kind of made that decision really early, which was sort of lucky. Yeah, great. So yeah. a promising sales career cut short <laughs> so you could actually find your true calling. I think so. I think yeah. so. And it's funny because I often think about sales and go, oh, geez, I love that. And, you know, I think that's why I love the BDM side of property management because I get in that sales area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a natural part of my personality, but I just love all the stuff that goes on yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that's the thing. I think you, the, the, the BDM facet of, of the job, you do need that. It's a different persona. It's a different personality and, and different personality attributes, I think, from a BDM to a PM. Some people are lucky that can cross across, uh, across the two. But it's, yeah. it is very much, I mean, that's, it's, I mean, people have really simplistically said, well, that's the listing side of the business. So, well, it's a, it's a bit more than that because you've still got to onboard the client as well and you've got to make sure that everything fits with with the client and also with the, with the, the property and bringing it in and allocating it to the right personality in the office. But BDMs and, and, and PMs are, are, are almost as different as salespeople and PMs, really, aren't they? Yeah, they are, but there is a part of me and I think having worked at the previous company where I started the National Franchise for Property Management, Mm -hmm. so I taught people that have never been paid, so never not been paid before, have took them to making their very first prospecting call to building their own businesses. And what I actually found was is that they can do it if they desperately want to. But And what I think the difference is is that they've actually never been taught and they've never, no one's invested in them to actually do that. And there is this, I think, especially with women, they have a security kind of issue around, you know, putting themselves out there. But funny enough, once you do it and you teach them how to do it, they're actually excellent at it. And they start to, and I've seen it in our business here, where my property managers now are going out and doing um, presentations and, and winning new business. And it's all because I've really invested the time in them to do that and told them that they can do it. And I think it's amazing how all of a sudden now they're saying when a BDM brings a property in and it might be at low commission, they'll go, hang on, I'm not managing it for that. So it's really <laughs> what happens when we invest time in and, and they're actually taught that way. And I think for a really long time people have gone, oh, property managers and salespeople, mm-hmm. you know, they the sort of the the principle normally is dealing with the salespeople and putting all that effort in there, but actually the property managers can do it. So yeah, it's a, it's an interesting thing that I've learned. Yep, yep. I think and I think the, the the skills yeah from a from a BDM point of view, I think the skills that salespeople have are transferable. Um, yeah. But I think they also need a lot of that that, that training. One of the things that you, you mentioned before, cold calling. And I was actually talking to someone yesterday. I said cold calling is actually not a difficult thing once you get used to hearing the word no. Because it's yes. not, I mean, that, that no, 
and I think we you know, we hear this so often. Uh, you know, it's it's not to do with you, know, you personally. It's to do with the service or the product that you you've got. It's not a reflection yes. of you or your personality or your worth. It's just that for them, it's not now. Whoever you're talking to, it's not now. Exactly, and I think sometimes it's actually. I actually, it's it's a bit of a thing for me how fast I can get the no to get on to the next one because I know the next one will come in. Does that make sense? So it's sort of like if I'm not right for you, I'm not right for you. Like let's, mm-hmm. I, and I don't mind if they say also I think it's the way you deal with the no. So if they've got a fantastic property manager right now, fantastic. I'd love to hear about her because I'm always looking for really great people and I'll steal her so you come with me. But, you know, like it's, I think you can you can get in in terms of personnel if you can really just talk to people mm-hmm. and not worry about the no and just mm-hmm. and make it a fun and that sort of thing. Then the, the thing is my goal is one day they will call me. They, they mm-hmm. just will because they will remember that little funny thing. They'll remember that they liked me. They might even want to give me something back. And so often they might say, hey, listen, I don't, I can't give you my property because I really love my property manager. But you know what, my friend... I think that'd be really great for you. So it's just mm-hmm. about making the call, but also going, you know what? I just need to get to 20. If I get to 20, I get one. So that no, that no, that no, crossing off the list, I get there. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just a competition. Yep. Yeah. And look, you're right. It's, yeah. It's that, it's that process of elimination. And if you it can is. get to that point where you go, okay, well, how many no's is going to take me to get a yes? And we used to, well, look, I, I'm, I'm a refugee from sales as well, but I got trained in the 80s and it was a case of, well, you know, how many no's is going to take to get a yes? And you work, you reverse engineer it. Yep. So you say, okay, well, I need to bring in, or I want to bring in this month X number of new properties. Yep. Now, I know that I need to speak to X number of people to do that because I get, you know, out of, out of every 20, say, for a number, yep. out of every... 20 people I speak to, 17 are going to say no, three yep. of them are going to say yes, and one of those is going to come across immediately and the other two can be, be banked for future. Yeah, so we work on, engineer back. Yeah. yeah, we work on 80-21. So make mm-hmm. 80 calls, and these are like fairly cold calls, right? Like 80 calls, 20 connects, one yep. opportunity, and about mm-hmm. a 50% rate of whether they're going to be now or later. So we know exactly how many calls we need to make to get the exact amount of numbers. I'm in a really fortunate position where we don't have to do so much of that because we have a really large sales team. So, you know, yep. we can, we can, it's probably more important for us to build relationships with the sales team, make sure we're extracting every lead we can from there. But we mm-hmm. are doing calls as well. And what we're aiming to do is about 40 calls a day. So I know over two days I'll get one opportunity. And that's, yep. that's great. Yeah. 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 That's yeah. true. I just want to touch on that a little bit and expand on that a little bit more because you know, you're saying you're the, the, the number one office internationally for property management. Now, you've been with Harcourt Solutions 12 months, two years? Yeah. Yeah. It's a year. I'm losing track of time. I think COVID's done that to a lot of people. It's twisted their time. I'm thinking, oh, you've been there for ages. I'm going, oh, hang on, I'm sure it was 2022. <laughs> it's a weird thing. I feel like I've always been here and my team say it's like you were never not here. Like we kind yeah. of can't remember life before you but it's one of those things where yeah I've only actually been here a year and I was fortunate enough to walk into a business that is the number one team right Mm -hmm. so it's one of those things where I don't think that I've taken them to number one they were number Mm -hmm. one anyway um but I do think there's there's things that we've done that have been innovative and Mm -hmm. um and I think we've changed the direction of the team quite substantially which has been so yeah but they're an amazing Mm. team anyway oh yeah great when you say change the direction of them how how, how, what does that look like internally yeah so I think 
We went through the last couple of years, we've gone through a really big period of where our owners are selling out. And I think that's happening across the country. And what I think we had was, and this is no, this is just my, the way that I think about it, but I think about it as actually, this is from Jodie Ford. I should mention this. So Jodie Ford from Corona's taught me this. She sees it and I see it now as property managers retain the business and BDM is growth. And so once you teach property managers how to retain business and how to actually go out and get business, they can actually retain. So my team needs to retain about three per month each in order for us for BDM to be the growth. So that directional change, I changed the bonuses, the KPIs, everything in the business so that there was more of a focus around property managers actually going out and getting the business. And what happened was it when I first got here, one of the things that happened that just sort of sparked, I, I kind of, I couldn't believe that it happened, but one of our property managers got a call in for a property and because of her great work and they wanted to give her another property and she sent it off to the BDM to sign up and then get back. And then I had another situation where we had a property manager where they, um, that one of their owners had bought another property and it went over to the BDM and then came back. And I thought, this is a really interesting thing. For some reason, BDM is seen as all new business and property Mm -hmm. management is seen as just tasks. And I think previously there'd been a big focus around task management. I've got a big focus around the business management. For example, I did business plans with all of the property managers. So really going through what their numbers are, and I'm happy to share that with anyone, but they they have full transparency over how much money their portfolio brings in. They're in charge of their business unit, their losses, their gains. So what we've got now is what we call a net zero um, bonus policy. So if they lose two, but they gain two, for example, they get 2% of their management fees as a bonus. And the only other criteria is that they also have a NPS satisfaction score of plus 20. Mm. So there's only two criteria for this bonus. So it's not all of this task management, your arrears have to be in lease renewals and maintenance and routines. I've reorientated everything to be you actually need to maintain your business unit and you need to understand all of your numbers and you have to have client satisfaction. So from that, our property managers are now actually trying to find business or winning business or doing all sorts of things that they've never done before. And I think that would be our biggest strategic change. And it really has made a big difference in our business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it would because you, you're, you're getting them interested and it goes back to the old thing of, and I was taught this years ago as well, you know, what gets rewarded gets done. And yeah. it's really simple. When you put when you put incentives in front of people and say, if, if you do these things and they're really simple, you will yeah. get, as you said, 2% of the management fee, and that's across the portfolio I'm taking it rather than just the, yeah. the, the properties, yeah, uh, for that yeah. month you'll get 2% of the fee. I, I think that's yeah. perfectly acceptable. You're not really, if anything, <clears throat> you know, the, if it had gone the other way and you'd lost those two properties, well, you've just blown up that 2% or more anyway. Yeah, and probably the other thing I really, I think what we've done really well is bring the sales and property management team together. So we'd had a loss of something like 238 properties to sales in the previous year, and we only sold 98 of them. So we're at somewhere around sort of, you know, 35%. And for being such a strong office with a strong property management team and, and strong sales team, that disconnect was probably more obvious through that. And so 
the other thing that we did was really bring that together. And so I started having our property managers do what's called a client needs analysis call and really go through and have a decent investing conversation with them. So things like what's the yield on the property? Are you looking to purchase another property? Are you looking to sell? Do we need to do any capital works? All of those sorts of have you had a tax appreciation schedule? Do you need a um, financial update? So Mm -hmm. those things, we did that as part of the lease renewal calls. And what it did was it identified if there was another property that they were either looking to buy or sell. And then we could actually send that over to our sales team really nice and early and get them in the conversation early. And so we've seen, mm-hmm. we've actually had 100% of sales sell through us two months ago. Last month, it was only 72. But to go from 38 to 72 and even 100%, it's all about yep. really bringing that sales and property management team together. Mm-hmm. And I signed all of our properties to salespeople as well and let them have added at our database, which again, yep. not usual that people do that. But when you've got sellers selling, you want to be, mm-hmm. I want to be the person that sells it. Well, you, you, you do. Number number one, there's, there's obviously the sales fee, which is due to the office. But number two, there's then the chance of retaining that business if it gets sold to another investor. Exactly. So there's, exactly. there's a double edge to that. And there's no, there's no, I, look, and I mean, look, I, I, I believe that property management's a, a business unit in itself. It is. And I, you know, look, I, I don't believe that you actually need a sales arm to run a very successful property management business. But where you've got an estate agency as such, which does both sales and property management, it needs to be one business, two business units, but operating as one business overall. And that means you know, absolute cooperation between both both arms of it, Completely both of them the other. And they've got to be, yeah. you, you've got to have complete cohesion between the teams. Uh, yeah. look, maybe not complete because I don't think your personalities are ever going to get it you know, to 100%, but you need to have a team that is, is is all focused in one direction. And that's, number one, the, the good of the company, yeah. and the good of the company only comes from making sure that your clients are well taken care of. That's exactly right. It's it's a once we getting the stories out of the NPS client satisfaction score and being able to put those stories in front of the salespeople all the time, rebuilt trust with regards to what the property managers were doing. Please understand the property managers are already great. Like it's more about the it's more about the selling of them. And making sure that the salespeople know what we're actually doing. You know, they, they were already excellent. They've already been number one internationally and all those things. But what I found was that the property, probably the salespeople didn't really understand how good the property managers were and vice versa, actually. You know, you go to the awards um, for Harcourts or for the big, and it's usually about sales. It's not there's there's a lot there are property management awards but you're not seeing the level of individual awards that you are with sales so it's it's one of those things where you find that the property managers probably know what the salespeople are doing but the salespeople don't really know how good the property managers are and I had to really just bridge that gap and say no this is how much better we are in it just in our leasing fees in our um sorry in our let days on market our mm-hmm. vacancy rates our um the average rents how much we're getting more for your clients like all of those things and once I started doing that we just started seeing it pour in yep. so once um, they're yeah. educated into what what actually goes on behind the scenes yeah. So I was, and I found this in a couple of the roles that where we've had that more future focus approach to the relationship between the sales and the property management teams. Once the, the salespeople actually have an understanding of what PMs do, they're, they're able more to sell that facet of the business 
yeah. they're able more to speak to those points as long as they don't start talking about fees. Don't don't start with your salespeople and property management fees. Yeah, well, you start doing this to me and we'll start doing that to you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and see how you like it when the boot's on the other foot. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what have you found? I mean, obviously staff for us in the industry is is, is, a, is, a, is a big challenge. Um, outside of that, where have you found your challenges in the, say, the 12 months, but even before that when you were with Coronas? Where, where have you found your challenges over the last few years? Personally or professionally, do you think? Or like... uh, we can talk personally if you like, if, you, if you're open to talking personally. I mean, I, yeah. I know a bit about your, your, your yeah, backstory, yeah. but obviously the audience yeah. does. What's your comfortable sharing? Yeah, sure. So um, personally, I think, you know, I've had a few challenges in terms of my health. So I have, when I had my baby back in 2016, they did breach my spine with the epidural. And so that has caused... I get neuropathy in my hands, which just means pins and needles and I lose feeling in my legs and things like that sometimes. Mm -hmm. So that could be pretty quite significant. And then from that, unfortunately, some um, I've got some markers for autoimmune diseases that they're sort of trying to figure out what's going on with me. So I have had some health challenges that have been something that I've needed to manage and probably mm -hmm. have never had to think about health before. So that's something that I think in some ways probably makes me a little bit more empathetic to people and what they're going through um, because I think when you've gone through that, it, it does help. And a lot of women obviously do get autoimmune and, and those sorts of things and going through different challenges in their health. So I think that's helped me in some ways. And then professionally, I think the probably the challenges have been, you know, I sort of got to that point of what do I really want in my life and where am I going? I've worked really hard for a really long time. And I sort of, I kind of, I feel like I was giving, I probably felt like I was giving a lot and where was my, I've, I've done everything based on passion and I really have. And I actually think that that's a really good way to be. I also think though, I probably wasn't taking care of myself and my family in, in mm -hmm. the way that I probably needed to. That's, that was a really big challenge to go through, to go, like when I, when I was doing my previous role, I was doing it for the absolute love of property managers and trying to get them into their own businesses but hadn't yet got into my own business and sorted myself out and that was so that was a really interesting challenge and to let go of all of that to go I can let go of that to actually move my life forward it was mm -hmm. um, a really interesting thing and so and what I found was that actually I, I developed passion for this anyway and I'm still helping people so and I still keep connected to those people so it but that was a really big challenge to actually let that go and really go what do I really want and what does my future look like and I, I think people get to you know I'm 45 I think it, I'm, I'm definition of a midlife crisis <laughs> what does that look like you know what does it really look like and what yeah. where where am I going and I've always been lucky enough that I mentioned that conference that I went to with Michael Sheargold and he actually got us into this session it was the last session of the day and he said you know I want you to be in a meditative state but basically the premise of the session was today's your last day and you're, you're going to die but you're completely happy and content to do so and I want you to look around and what can you see and what can you smell and hear and touch and I had this incredibly strong vision and my whole life now has been I make decisions either taking me toward that vision or away from it mm -hmm. and what I found was I was, I was in that vision, so I have been making those decisions, but I probably needed to make some more decisions weighted towards myself 
and my yep. family, which yep. I've never done before. So that that was kind of yeah how it got to and how I got to Hardcore Solutions. It's it's mm. kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, yeah, gee, that's uh, that's quite a powerful tool to use when you say this is, is this is your last day and and you're happy yeah. with the What what is it around you that's that's that you got that you've created yeah. that has created that within you? Yeah. So yeah. what do you do? What do you do now for self care? I mean, we were talking about that a minute ago, and it's sort of one of these things I've, I've noticed that in the conversations I've had with a lot of people over time, you know, they say, "Well, I, I do this. I make sure I take regular yeah. breaks. I make sure I meditate or yoga or something along those lines." Or, you know, me, I've got my kayak in the summer and my, my skiing in the winter and those sorts of things. What about you? What do you, What do you do? I think the first thing is is just getting back to my kids and the husband. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was working really long hours. I do work long hours, but. I feel like I'm more present when I'm with them and I'm very aware that my daughter's eight. She's going to be 13 and hate me soon. So, you know, I just, and my son is 11, turning 11. And I think just really aware that when I'm with them, I'm really with them. I think that's probably mm-hmm. the first thing. And I'm now doing walks in the morning. So I do somewhere between three and five Ks every morning and just making sure that I can when I can. Um, when yep. my body starts not being okay, I have to stop and I have to be okay with stopping. So given that I was quite an athlete, it was a really hard thing to go from being an athlete and playing as much sport as I wanted to and it was such an mm-hmm. outlet for me to going to almost nothing. So for almost six yep. years I did very little. And you were a state netballer, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, I yep. played state, yeah. And I actually got selected for the national team but I um, did my ankle. So <laughs> anyway, I had a couple of knee reconstructions <laughs> and all that stuff that comes with netball. Yeah, I was about to ask how your knees were. Netball's netball's probably the worst sport for knees, isn't it? Brutal. Two knee reconstructions and another two surgeries, and I think my knee's gone again. But anyway, it doesn't matter. But it's I think when you're when you're that sort of person, you've been a fairly decent athlete. You you have an outlet that you don't even realise you have. Like you have an outlet for your aggression and for what's going on, and you get out of the court and you're not thinking about things, and you're just able to let everything go and be truly competitive or whatever for you Mm -hmm. that looks like. Whereas I went to having none of that very and suddenly so it was one of those things where and also truly scared about my future what happens if my body completely shuts down and and all those things but so now I just I do do meditation so I don't do it often as I like but I have the calm app and I'll do that but the other thing that I think is probably for me one of the best things I started putting into my probably at least weekly routine if not a couple of times a week I love comedians I just get a lot from them. And when I'm having a moment, I will literally put on a clip, a YouTube clip from some of my favourite comedians and just laugh. And I yep. think that keeps your spirits high and um, it's something that I'm bringing into the business as well. It's just making sure that we put on a clip and, like, we all, you know, all have a bit of a laugh, put it through teams and just making sure you've got that fun and laughter. Yep. I think it's really I, I think that's great, yeah, because then you start to realise that life's not all serious. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. yeah. and It yeah. doesn't have to be, yeah. No. No, yeah, I'm genuinely. Interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Just, who, who is your favourite comedian, by the way? Or, 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 I love, <laughs> top two. I love Michael McIntyre um, oh, because he's yeah. just he's so clean and funny. But equally, mm-hmm. I love um, and I've just forgotten his name. And he's the crassest, rudest thing you can imagine. But he's hilarious. Uh, an Australian mm-hmm. comedian. Oh my goodness! I can't oh, believe I've just forgotten yeah. his name. Yeah, yeah he's terrible. Or someone like that. Yeah, oh, Kevin. Kelly, no, yeah. no, no. Oh God, I, I, no, I just can't believe it'll, it'll come to us just as we, yeah. we finish the recording. That's that's normally yeah. the way. Yeah, look, I mean, I, and I'm the same. I mean, look, I've got people like you know, Billy Connolly and those sorts of things. Yeah. Robin Williams and Robin Williams is probably still would be my he's number amazing. one. He's yeah. just a, what, what a shame that he he he, he couldn't find his yeah. way through. But then that's that. 
I think that seems to be the curse of that that brand of genius. Um, yeah. But he he was just so incredibly funny. I remember seeing him being interviewed by Jan Event one day. And this is yeah. this is going back. This is now I'm really showing my age. Um, and and he turned to her and said, "This is interviewing hell, isn't it?" Because he he just he completely derailed everything. <laughs> so. He would have. He's amazing. I I found yeah. out. A, I I looked into him a little bit more about his death, and it mm. actually turned out he had um, Louis dementia. So he, oh, he Louis body dementia. And so mm. one of the things that I, well, if this is true, this is what I read. But um, he actually decided that he didn't want to not remember everything and not be a part of everything, and so mm-hmm. he, he did what he did to preserve. Yeah everything mm-hmm. that he had. Gee, that's, and yeah, I, that's, and I, that's a considered approach, yeah. Yeah, and, I, you mm-hmm. know, I, I sort of understand that and I, I think I'd probably be a bit similar. So, yeah, that was an interesting yeah. find. It wasn't just that depressive thing that we think comes with comedians, which he clearly did have too. So, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. Anyway, look, I, I think <laughs> enough enough talk about that. We're sort of that that's yes. veering into, into, into something completely yes. away from away from property management. And, and, Absolutely. And so... Uh, you say you went through six years of doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. What was your mental state like? Yeah. How did you? Um, thank you. <laughs> Lights out. What were you doing? Was that how you came to meditation, or, or what were you doing those six years to keep yourself right? I guess. I or, or think I probably right. just put. I think I probably just buried my head in work. That probably is a good and bad thing. Yeah. I'm glad that I had that avenue because I think when you're passionate about something and love something, then it's at least it feels easy to do. Yeah. But I did lose that side of me that was fit and healthy and looking after myself and that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, but I did. I buried myself in work. And in some ways that led me to here. So I, yeah. I don't regret that. Yeah. yeah. So it was a bit of a that, that actually helped you to get you know, find that realisation as yeah, to where yeah. you wanted to be and to do something that was for you and your future. That's right. Yes, okay, that's, definitely. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. And what does the future hold? What what does 2024, 5, 6, 30 look like for Jodie Stainton? So I, I want to double this rent roll. So we're mm-hmm. at 2,000 properties and I want to double it. I want to get a bit over that actually. I think somewhere around the 5,000 is where I want to get to. So I do have a vision for the team that we have that growing them and getting them to where they want to go and that's probably why I have to get to 5,000 to be honest. Um, so with growth, it's the only thing you can do with growth is, is help your people. So that's that's where I really want to go. I'm just want to remain innovative and trying things mm. and doing different things and I think that's the the key to um, my personality is what yep. can we and I think having a larger rent roll allows me to do that I can go mm. hey how about we try this or how about we do this or, I've always really wanted to do this it allows me to kind of play in that field which I really like that space so that's what it looks like for me we have a really strong growth plan with We've um, had three salespeople join us just in the last three months. So that's, Gee. you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're doing some pretty good things. We've got a beautiful office. We've, yeah, I, I feel like my partnership is really strong. The, the two men that I work with are just amazing. Um, so yep. the three of us are along and, yeah, we've got some pretty big plans. But to be honest, what we really want most is just that our people love coming to work. They mm-hmm. love being here, which they do. I actually said to people, you know, you don't have to come in, work from home. I worked from home for eight years. So, you know, you can do whatever you want and they come in every day. So that yeah. to me seems like we've got a good culture around people want to be here and mm-hmm. that's all we want, mm-hmm. really. Yeah, and that's, right. and that's, that's all you can do, really. And I think as leaders, <clears throat> I mean, the culture does start with us and you've got to look at it and say, well, realistically, 
Um, we've got to create that environment. Our team have got to know that they're they're appreciated, they're nurtured, they're 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 valued probably more than the actual business unit itself is. Exactly. Because without them, everything else stops. But you know, they they have their own wants and their own needs. Exactly. So you've got to yeah, you've got to meet those. And if they're all saying no, we don't want to work from home, that's a that's a marker of, of, of an incredibly good, strong, tight culture. What have you done to create that? Is, are there any key innovations or, or, or key hints you could give someone who's struggling a little bit with creating that culture? Uh, yeah. What would you suggest they try? So I know this is going to sound really crazy, but we have just as a really silly thing, but we have our meetings on Fridays instead of Wednesdays when everyone else does. I know that sounds really strange, but Fridays, everyone's in a really happy mood. They're not thinking about what they've got for the week. They've done the week. They're they're in a much different mood. So therefore, they're also in a mood, well, and maybe it's because we've worked with them to get to this point, but they're in a mood where they can actually, they want to go forward. So when we say, hey, let's, we want to implement this, or we want to implement that, they're actually ready for it. Um, yep. So I know that sounds a strange thing to say, but just moving the meetings to Fridays, I honestly think yep. helped. We do do fun things. So last weekend, or last Friday or the Friday before, we had karaoke after our Friday meeting. So we moved the meeting till later and, you know, we did a three o'clock session and then we all stayed on and did karaoke. So we try and have fun all the time. Um, we have we make sure we've got snacks in our kitchen. I know it sounds ridiculous, but we've got a whole heap of different snacks and things that people can yep. just munch on all day just to make mm-hmm. sure that because I tend to find they're not eating, they're running from appointment to appointment. I just want to make sure that they've got something in their bellies. Um, yep. Yep. We do, you know, I think there's probably, I do think with the bonus structure, their wages, I wouldn't say that we're at the top of the wages, we're fairly well middle ground, but with the bonuses and things that they've got in place, it really does put them up there. And I do think, you know, offering cars is something that's really helpful as well. So we do have cars for people and I do think that helps. But really it's about honestly, none of that would matter if we didn't care about them didn't jump in when something was going wrong and allow them to make mistakes, allow them to, you know, get on the phone with their owners and smooth things over and all of those sorts of things. If we weren't there for them in those moments, I don't think any of the other stuff would matter. Um, It's about just you're in a situation, let me help you through it and take the pain away. I think that's that's really important. And and you're absolutely right. The hallmark of every high-performing team I know of uh, and certainly the teams that I've I've run, the, the hallmark has always been... I'm here to have you back. Really, yeah, absolutely. As, as I said, you know, as, as, as leaders, culture starts with us. Culture comes from your team knowing that they are absolutely supported. And I mean, I used to have a no surprises policy with my my my, my groups, uh, and just say, yeah. look, you know, let you know, come to me before somebody else comes to me, please, so yes. that we can we can work a way through whatever the situation is. Yeah, they realise they're not going to be, you know. You know, have their throat jumped down, or they're you know going to be held out into public ridicule in front of the rest of the office. It makes things yeah. a heck of a lot easier because well, you don't make examples of people; you make examples of situations. Exactly, and that's that's the interesting thing. We now so we do our morning huddles as well. So mm-hmm. every day we get together quickly and go through our top three things we want to achieve for the day and that sort of stuff. So we all know where each other are. We are lucky we work from the one office. I think that's a really that's actually been a really great thing. I've seen yeah. it where you've got a big team working from different offices. Being all in the one office, I think, really works for us. So they can all help each other too and learn from each other. But mm-hmm. the other thing that I've found. And I do think this comes from not admonishing people and and actually understanding that mistakes happen and who cares, let's just learn from it. 
is we now go through case studies. We've got a continual improvement part of our Friday meeting and we go through case studies as to what's happened and no one takes it as an affront on them. So mm-hmm. they will bring a case study and go, hey, I've got a great case study for us. We, you know, we learned this, this and this. And I go, amazing, let's present it to the team. Like yep. that is a vastly different thing from, oh, I don't, like don't tell anyone that I made this mistake or, you know, I don't want anyone mm-hmm. to know. It's, so we celebrate that, which I think is yep. a really really big thing to what we do because somebody else has probably done something similar or is in the middle of it and you don't know about it until it's too late (laughs) we've all done it we've all made horrendous mistakes you know i even have a mistake mistake budget on the business plan so they know that they can make mistakes Mm -hmm. we measure it but we know we can make mistakes so and i think that's you know so we do 15 dollars per property as as Mm -hmm. a mistake fund and they're allowed if they don't think that they can negotiate it out or whatever they're allowed to use their mistake fund to cover it for the business to cover it and i think again mm. it's just a different thing so yep yeah. true enough true enough yeah that's that, that, that's that's a really good one that you do budget for mistakes so they they yeah. they are part of your plan part because we're human yeah we're exactly. human we make mistakes i've done it yeah oh, oh, plenty of mistakes. oh actually no both hands in the air <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everything yeah. in the air. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've probably made every mistake known. But you know, yeah, and, and the thing is, I've always taken ownership of them, or I hope I've always taken ownership of them. Yeah, you know, exactly. When you look back and you go, yeah, I probably could have handled that a bit differently. But that's, you know, again, human nature. Well, you, know, you only learn by your mistakes and by watching exactly. other people make mistakes sometimes too. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good place for us to leave it, Jody. I am so incredibly grateful for you for giving us nearly 45 minutes of your time. I'm sure that there are some really, really good hints and takeaways in this for our audience. And, uh, again, I'd say thank you, and uh, I look forward to seeing you hit that 5,000 mark in the next few years. (laughs) (laughs) We will. I promise we'll get there. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. All right. Jody Staten, Harcourt Solutions in Brisbane, the uh, number one international office for the Harcourts Group for Property Management. Again, thank you so very much. You've been listening to another podcast in the Influential Conversations series. This series is proudly brought to you by Tappy, helping property managers deliver a world-class maintenance experience to their landlords and tenants and providing a total property care solution. Inspection Express, the market leader in property inspection reporting and digital signature property documentation, giving you a seamless approach to the way that you manage properties and Agent Dynamics, the Australian market-leading team development ecosystem to help you nurture, grow, and retain your property teams since 2014. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next time for the next in this series.